before they leave today. All right, Matthew chapter 4, 1 to 2. It says, Then Jesus was led up by the Spirit into the wilderness to be tempted by the devil. And after he had fasted 40 days and 40 nights, he then became hungry. Amen. Let's pray. Uh, Father, we come humbly before you, God, and Lord, we resonate, God, with what Jesus is going through. Lord, we're also hungry, God. Lord, but you know what, God? We're more hungry for you. Lord, we see that this divine moment that you have us in, God, is for a purpose, Lord. God, uh, we're grateful that we're fasting when these kinds of situations happen in the life of our church, Lord. God, we need more power, Lord. We need more authority over sickness and disease, God. Lord, we need to be the people of God that you desire for us to be. And so we say, God, as, as our theme, Lord, come, Holy Spirit. Come and breathe over us today. Lord, open up the scriptures to us, God, and empower us, Lord, to fight the good fight of faith. And to that end, we ask you right now to release the revelatory ministry of the Holy Spirit in this room. Lord, give us an ear to hear and a heart to receive what the Spirit is saying to each one of us individually and corporately as a body. Lord, I humble myself today. I ask that you use me to preach your prophetic word with power and authority. Help me, Lord, not just convey your words, God, but convey your heart. God, we thank you. We love you in this house, God. And in Jesus' name, all God's people said, amen. 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 So before uh, we get into the message, I just want to just take a moment to encourage us a little bit about our fast. And so uh, while we're in the, in, the, in the middle of this process, we have a, a, about a week to go, a little over a week. Um, ask yourself spiritually these questions. Number one, am I confident that this fast is God-given? Like, is this what God wants me to do, or is this what I want to do? You know, what type of fast does he want us to undertake? What, do you, what does he want you to do? What does he want me to do? Luke 4.1 says, Jesus, full of the Spirit, returned from the Jordan, was led around by the Spirit in the wilderness. It was the Spirit that was leading Jesus into this fast. And it should be the Spirit that's leading us into this season as well. Number two, ask yourselves, are my motives right? Are they in the right place? Is my heart in the right place? Is there any hidden desire inside of me to impress other people by my spiritual discipline? Matthew 6, 4, Jesus says, And your Father who sees what is done in secret will, will reward you. I know we're doing a corporate fast, and so everyone knows we're fasting. And so, you know, there's a, a different way we do a corporate fast. You know, the Israelites did corporate fasts all the time. But even in the midst of that corporate fast, are we doing it to be noticed by men? Are we doing it in, in secret, per se, right, to be rewarded by God in that way? Number three, what are my objectives during this fast? Like, what am I doing this for? Is it for a personal sanctification? Is, is it some area of intercession that I need to dig into? Is there a special burden that God has placed on our hearts? Or are we just looking for a guidance from God or some kind of blessing? Or are we crying out for revival uh, in the church and around us? Or is it simply say, you know what? I'm a part of this church. My church is fasting, so I'm fasting, which is totally legitimate. I, I think a great reason, actually, and so what, what are your objectives during this time? You know, Philippians 3.14, Paul says, I press on toward the goal. And then number four, the really important part, 
Am I determined above all else to minister to the Lord in this fast? Am I just simply skipping a meal or skipping an activity or, or the internet? Or am I really taking that time and spending time with the Lord? Right? Remember, fasting without prayer is dieting. You could die at any time, but this is a special season for us. Acts 13.2 says, And while they were ministering to the Lord and fasting. Right? They were touching God's heart by fasting. Now, listen, don't, don't mistake the effectiveness of your fast by how you feel. A lot of times, you won't, you won't really be feeling a lot of things, to be honest. Remember, this is a fight. It's a spiritual warfare. It's a heavenly warfare. God doesn't you know, uh, uh, walk us or lead us into a walkover, but he asks us to fight. I remember I learned this early on. The first time I ever did a 40-day fast, I don't know why, but I just, I just thought that I would get, like, angelic visitations, you know. I, I, I thought that, that, that God would speak to me so much more clearly and louder and all these things. And, and I found that, that I, I was, like, reaching in my 30, the, the, the 30 days, 35 or 6. And, man, you know what? Honestly, I wasn't feeling any closer to God than when I wasn't, fast, or, you know, wasn't fasting. And, 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 I, and I just thought, well, oh, this is very strange. But I'd heard from some mentors that that's, it's like that. And so I kind of clung to their words. And, and, but what it did, it, it drove me to seek God even more. And so I remember going to my church uh, at that time. And uh, um, I, I go in uh, uh, about midnight and, uh, into, this, into the main sanctuary. And uh, I, I you know, turn the lights on. I, I uh, put my favorite CD uh, into, do, do you remember CDs, compact discs? I put my favorite CD into the player and, you know, just playing and just worshiping. And um, uh, in the beginning, it was tough. All, all I did for the first night, I, I did it for the whole week. For the first night, all I did is literally stare at the clock and pray in tongues on my knees. Right, six hours. That's all I did. Right, I got there. I just knelt. I didn't know what else to do. I just prayed in tongues and I just stared at the clock until the morning service uh, time came. And then, you know, day two, kept doing it. Uh, day three, I feel something in my spirit rise up. And then by by the end of it, I think it was I think it was the thirty ninth day. I was I was dancing with all my might in the sanctuary. It actually was a little embarrassing because, uh, you know, I, I turned the lights off and I had the music on and I was just dancing. I, I, I t- took off most of my clothing. I had a shirt on, right, and some pants. But, you know, all the sweaters and stuff and, and things. And I'm like, I'm just like, you know, going wild. And all of a sudden I noticed the lights were turned on. And it's the morning, peep, morning prayer crew. The ladies, old ladies came in and they're just looking at me like, What's wrong with our youth pastor, right? This, this guy's lost it. And, uh, and it, it, it turned into one of, the, the, one of the most significant spiritual moments in my life. And so don't, don't judge what's going on with you right now by how you're feeling, right? The enemy wants you to focus on how you're feeling, right? God wants you to focus on the truth of the matter in this way. And so um, practically speaking, uh, keep warm, 
during this time. I mean, thankfully, the weather is pretty warm this year, surprisingly. Uh, Remember, uh, your body, uh, like the fire metabolism, is being fed with low-grade fuel during this time. And so consequently, it's not generating the usual heat that it would. And so the body tends to feel cold more. And so keep, keep warm. Uh, drink plenty of water during this time. Uh, shower, but preferably warm water uh, and not hot water. For many of us that are doing like a liquid fast or a water fast, uh, uh, make sure that, that it's warm because uh, hot, it'll just sap you of a lot of your energy. You might get a little dizzy. Even when you stand up, don't stand up so quickly on these things. And you know, in regular light exercise, uh, but not strenuous, is, is probably recommended uh, during this time. And so you, I mean, you, 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 you don't want to just do nothing uh, uh, at this stage. And so you want to do a little something. Um, and then uh, st- try to stay away from caffeinated drinks. Uh, the caffeine will really mess you up during this time. So, so just some tips uh, as we continue on. Uh, we have a little bit more of a, a week left, and so let's, let's finish strong. Amen? Turn to your neighbor right, and say, hey, good looking. Say, so let's finish strong. All right. So I, I thought, um, uh, and, and I, I, think, I don't think we've done this in a long time, but I thought, you know, it'd probably be a good idea as we're talking about fasting to talk about Jesus' fast. And so we're, we're going to do that uh, in a moment. So uh, this is Matthew 4. I read a little bit, but we're going to read the whole uh, kind of part here. And so this is uh, 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 chapter 4, uh, 1 to 11. Okay, so follow along. And so then Jesus was led by the Spirit in the wilderness to be tempted by the devil. And when he had fasted 40 days and 40 nights, he then became hungry. And the tempter came and said to him, If you are the Son of God, command that these stones become bread. But he answered and said, It is written, Man shall not live on bread alone, but on every word that proceeds out of the mouth of God. Then the devil took him into the holy city and had him stand on the pinnacle of the temple and said to him, If you are the Son of God, throw yourself down, for it is written... He will command his angels concerning you, and on their hands they will bear you up so that you will not strike your foot against a stone. And Jesus said to him, On the other hand, it is written, You should not put the Lord your God to the test. Again, the devil took him to a very high mountain and showed him all the kingdoms of the world and said to him, All these things I will give you if you fall down and worship me. Then Jesus said to him, Go, Satan, for it is written, You shall worship the Lord your God and serve him only. Then the devil left him, and behold, angels came and began to minister to him. And then 2 Corinthians 2.11, it says, And so that no advantage be taken of us by Satan, for we are not ignorant of his schemes. The fast and the temptation highlight exactly what the schemes of the enemy are. The very things that Jesus Christ was tempted with we can be assured that these will be the same temptations that the enemy comes against us with. We have a tenacious adversary, right? He, uh, he, he prowls around like a roaring lion seeking to devour, and he's keenly aware of our weaknesses, and he knows how to attack each one of us strategically. And so... If we look in this text, it says Jesus was hungry. Uh, Obviously he was hungry. I mean, he's going through this fast, and the enemy comes and tries to attack him exactly at his point of weakness. Let's just take a moment. Let that sink in for a bit. I hope you know 
what your weaknesses are. I hope you know what are those things that, prick, can, that can prick at you and cause you to, to maybe do things that you would not normally do or say things that you would not normally say. And, and imagine if you're aware of your weaknesses, how much more the enemy is aware. And his whole plot is to exploit that weakness and bring you down. Right? He's the enemy of our souls. And this is what he, he's doing. In his physical weakness, the enemy begins to attack. And so I mean, there's, a, there's a lot to unpack in this, in this passage, but I want to try to stay focused. And I just want to focus on three attacks or three schemes of the enemy that, that we're going to use of Paul's language. And so how the enemy works and tries to move in our lives. So number one, one of the attacks is he attacks our identity. He'll always come against that. He'll, he'll, he'll always try to, to, to bring us down. And he says to Jesus, he says, if you are the Son of God. If you are the Son of God. Now, this is significant if you remember what happened in the previous chapter. Jesus, remember in Matthew 3, he's baptized and so, remember, he goes into the water. The Spirit of God comes upon him like a dove. And then what happens? This voice cries out from heaven. Everyone heard this voice and said, This is my beloved Son in whom I'm well pleased. In other words, I'm so proud of this Son. And, and right then, bam, right? Jesus is marked with this divine identity. I mean, I think Jesus knew already, but everyone else needed to know. And God declared, you, son, you are my son. I'm so proud of you. I love you. You're my beloved son. And so what's the enemy going to do? Immediately going to attack that truth of God. Are you the son? And it always happens like that. You know, uh, my favorite service that we have at SP is our baptism service. And if you remember during baptism, towards the end, I always tell the church, hey, church, we got to pray for our baptism candidates because they've just had this incredible experience with God. And so what, what's going to happen? We, we are not ignorant of his schemes. And the enemy is going to come right away and try to take them out. I mean, early on, before they can become more secure, more grounded, the foundations can grow even more, and they can grow and be a threat. I mean, they're already a threat, but be even a more threat to the enemy. This is like if you've ever gone out to like a spiritual retreat or uh, uh, done a church retreat or something. And, and we, have, we have the most amazing time. And you know as soon as you come down from that mountain or, or leave the hotel and you go back into your real world again. And the enemy just pounces on all kinds of things. I remember one year, I think it was 2008, I'm, I'm sure it was 2008, and we went to our retreat in China, and it was so great. And then as soon as we got on the ferry, and then we're, we're passing into Hong Kong waters, and all, everyone's cell phones start working again, and all of our people are inundated with the million messages that this bank failed, and this one happened. Remember the, the, the global financial crisis? And all of a sudden, we went from this spiritual high, and everyone's panicking. Do I still have a job? You know, am I still employed? Do, do you guys remember that back? Back in the days, it was, it was like the craziest ferry ride, you know, to come back. 
And, and so the enemy does. I'm not saying the enemy orchestrated just for, uh, against our church people, right? But it happened globally. But, but it happens. The enemy works in all these ways just to come against. You know, we had this spiritual high, and the enemy hates that. And so he comes and co- combats and he counters the things that, that, that God is doing in this place. And, he, and it was, if, I mean, can you see the audacity in the devil? If you're the son of God, of course he's the son of God. Of course he's in this place. And, and, and by the way, these two events of baptism and temptation, in other words, you can think of it like a spiritual high and then the enemy attacking is linked all through the Gospels. These, these two events go hand in hand. The father speaks the identity of the son, and now that will be severely tested. And brothers and sisters, this same situation is, is our situation. That, that's, that's what happens in this place. And so and the thing about it, the audacity, the devil knew. He knew he was the son of God. I mean, that, that wasn't even a question. Let me, let me, let me uh, give you one of his underlings, okay? This is Matthew chapter 8. 28 and 29. And it says, And when he came to the other side into the country of the gatherings, two men who were demon-possessed met him as they were coming out of the tombs. And they were extremely violent that no one could pass by the way. And they cried out saying, What business do we have with each other, son of God? Have you come to torment us before the time? In hell, it was clearly understood that Jesus was the Son of God. Even his underlings knew the identity of Jesus. But what does the enemy do? He attacks at that very place. If you're the Son of God, then do this. And we've kind of heard it in our own ways. If you're a child of God, then why are you suffering? If God really loves you, if you're a child of God, then why are you going through this drama if you are god's child then why are you so depressed why are you so sad why do you feel so lonely if you're his child then why don't you have a job if you're his child and he cares for you so much how come you're not married why can't you have kids right and and the list goes on and on and on and on and that's exactly where and then we say, oh, yeah, am I God's child? Does God really love oh, um, Yeah, if he really loved me, why doesn't this happen? And you see how we get sucked in into this trap that the enemy lays for us, right? If, if you're a child of God, why are your parents struggling so much? And so on and so forth. He comes and he attacks our identity, Number two, the second scheme is he attacks our relationship as father and child of God. He attacks that very relationship. The same thing, if you're the son of God. It's it's this relationship, father, son, in this way, or father, daughter. The enemy does not want us to see God as our father. And or he wants us to see him as an uncaring, faraway distant father, uninvolved father in this way. Romans 8.16, the spirit of God in our lives, the spirit himself testifies with our spirit 
that we are children of God. In other words, the work of the Spirit in our life, who's in us, is always telling us, you are a child of God. You are a child of God. You belong to God. God is your Father. And, 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 and that resound is happening within us. This is the work of the Spirit in our lives. And the enemy's job is to break that connection. And, 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 he, and he's so clever, and he, and, he, and he does it in so many different ways. The Spirit himself bears witness with our spirit. In other words, there's something inside of us that says we are the children of God. God is my Father, and the enemy aims to destroy that connection. The primary way he does that is through our earthly fathers. This is why it's so important, and this is for every father that's in this room. It's so important that you understand your mandate as the head of the home. It's so important that you understand the responsibility that God has given to you. You know, we talked, uh, last night we started our, our premarital and marriage counseling class, and, and we talked for a little bit about these roles and, and how the world misunderstands the idea of equality, and, you know, they're, they're fighting for this equality. The, the, the biblical idea, there was never an issue of equality. The Bible never said men are more important than women. Or it's, it's not a part of that, but what the Bible did say is the responsibility of the home comes upon the husband, comes upon the father. It's a responsibility that they have. It doesn't mean that the man is greater than the woman. In fact, you could actually make a case uh, just through the scriptures that women are actually greater than men. Just the fact that they can bear children and and do all these things. And and if you go all the way back into Genesis, and he says that, he says that, you know, I'll I'll provide a helper suitable for you. And a lot of times the world and, and people that don't know the Bible very well, they'll look at the word helper and they'll see a subordinate position. But if you understand that word helper in Hebrew is only used a few times, usually used in Hebrew poetry, and every time the word is used, it's talking about a supreme being helping a lower being. In other words, God, he's the helper helping Israel. And so there was no differentiation, and so the world is talking about equality. It, that's not an issue. There's never been an issue like that in the scriptures, but it was about responsibility, and so we as, as husbands, you need to understand the responsibility that God has given you as the head of the home to care for your home, to love uh, your, your wife, and, 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 to, and to lead the family. And, so, and, and this, is, this is the central thought, so that when your children, when they start thinking about God, because the first lens by which any person will begin to relate to the Heavenly Father is with the earthly father. And so we as husbands, we need to understand our responsibility to bear the right image of God. It's important because we can bear the wrong image of who Father God is. We can be harsh. We can be really judgmental. We can be absent. You know, there's all these things that we can do. And the lens by which our kids will see Father God is through us as fathers. And so we need to make sure that we become the representation of the Father here on earth. Yeah, it's, now you see it's a huge responsibility. It is huge in this way. And so, he, so the, uh, the, 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 the Lord wants to make it a point to us as men that we take this charge into our lives and we model Father God. And so that when our... When our um, our kids, you know, see, uh, see us 
and then reflect on Father God, it'll be wholesome and true and it'll be loving. Um, my, uh, uh, my, one of my pastors and pastor's wives that we're still really close with, um, uh, the pastor, uh, he's, he's uh, uh, kind of really stern, you know, and, and he definitely gives off that vibe. Um, you know, a little bit like me, um, and, uh, um, or I should say I'm, I'm, I'm a little bit like him, uh, and those things. But his wife is so different, and she's very fun-loving and, you know, cheerful and energetic and all these things. And, and we were having a conversation one day, and we we're talking about dads. And yeah, I mean, you know, pastor's dad was very stern, you know, very strict. He was also a pastor um, and, uh, uh, you know, very busy man. And so th- that was the lens, and that's all he knew. And whereas, you know, uh, my, uh, the pastor's wife, uh, his dad was very cheerful, you know, uh, very fun, uh, you know, always did things with the kids. And, and so you know, we're having this conversation, she was saying, like, yeah, I never had any issues with Father God. I never had any issues, right? To me, God was fun, right? God, God was just, just like a party and things. And I thought, man... What a healthy, healthy view. Do you know what I mean? What a healthy view. And it was just simply the relationship that she had with her father. And it informed her of the kind of who Father God is. Right? So, so important. And that's why wives, right, that we need to pray for our husbands Right? Because, the, man, the enemy is going to war. You've heard me say this many times. The primary revelation in the scriptures is God the Father. You can make a case in the Bible that, that God is also our mother. Remember, he's, he's beyond sex. He's neither male nor female. He's both. He created man in his image, male and female. He created them. And so they're, they're both in the Godhead, you could say. But the primary revelation of Scripture is God the Father. Now, I want to suggest to you, if the primary revelation in the Scripture was God our mother, we'd be having a major mother crisis in this world. We'd be having you know, absentee moms, runaway moms instead of runaway dads. I'm telling you, it, it, it'll, it'll happen because the enemy will now totally, not that he already isn't, but totally come against the mother because that's the primary revelation. And, and, and we see this happening. And so the, the, he attacks us. And so the, 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 the genesis of those attacks are what happens at home. It's your dad. Right? But see, the, the great thing is God is doing something. You know, Malachi, and he says, I'll send the spirit of Elijah and he will come and turn the hearts of the fathers to the children and the hearts of the children to the fathers. This is what the Spirit of God is doing. He's turning their hearts to one another. And it's going back into divine alignment in this way. But that's what he does. He attacks our relationship as God the Father and us as the children of God. The enemy attacks this is, brothers and sisters, this is why, listen, in, in our culture today, all around us, there's an all-out war against the family. It is, it is a demonic assignment because if, if, if the enemy can disrupt the family, the, you know, weak families create weak churches. Weak churches cannot win this world. 
I mean, it's, it's, it's just a, a very simple demonic strategy that's laid out here. That's why we need to constantly stand up and fight for family values. It, it is a huge thing. This, this is like the major culture war that's taking place around us, and particularly against fathers. So he, uh, uh, he attacks, uh, let me find this. So he attacks our identity, then he attacks our relationship as father and child of God. And the third thing, again, I can go on and on, but, but I just want to stay focused. And what he does, he attacks the word of God. He attacks the word of God. The enemy attempts to shake our faith in the word of God and questions the truth of it. The enemy is a master manipulator. He tries to twist God's words. He's an expert. You know, James says, in James 2, says that demons know and they shudder. I mean, the, well, if, we, if we talk about like perfect theology, on this side of heaven, no one has perfect theology. The closest people to have that are actually the demons. They know. I mean, they knew he was. A, I mean, think about the disciples. The disciples had no idea who Jesus was. Even he walked with them for three years. The demons knew from day one. You are the son of God. You are the son of David. I mean, you know, you know have mercy. You know, don't torment us. From time. I mean, they, they had this revelation. They understood this thing. And, and, and the enemy is a master manipulator. He knows the word. He knows how to twist the word of God around us to suit our purposes. That's what he does. And so the, the first temptation, we'll just go through this real quick. The first temptation, he says, turn this bread into stone. Now, I want to tell you, this doesn't come out of nowhere. Remember, in, just read this. In Matthew 3, 9, John the Baptist says something. He says, And do you suppose that you can say to yourselves, We have Abraham for our father. For I say to you that from these stones, God is able to raise up children to Abraham. And, and so the devil's basically saying, Hey, John the Baptist right, said that he could raise up stones and they become people. Why don't you do a lesser one? Just turn this stone into bread, right? John the Baptist claimed that God is able to do this. Surely you can do this little thing here in this place. It's a much easier thing to do, you know? And think about this. What is the devil really trying to say with that temptation? It's kind of like, uh, remember the question behind the question? What's the question behind the question? What is he really, really trying to say? This is what I feel he's trying to say. He's trying to say, God has left you alone. Right? He won't take care of your needs. You need to do it on your own. You need to take care of yourself. Right? God won't take care of you. You need to do it yourself. See, God was taking care of him. Yes, he was hungry. It was for this season. And how many times have we struggled with that in our lives? You, you know, I mean, something simple like tithing, right? Giving, uh, being generous in these things. And you believe God is giving you a job and all these things, but you're so reluctant to give. Because at the heart of it, what you think is, God, you won't really take care of my needs. I need to take care of my own needs. I know you asked me to do this, but I can't do this because at the heart of it, I don't think you're going to take care of me. 
If I, if I give this percentage to the church or if I give this to charity, if I'm generous, then, then what about me? Lord, are you really going to take care of me? No, you're not going to take care of me. I'm going to take care of myself. And so I'm going to keep this for myself. That's the heart of not being generous to God. Right? At, at, at the core of it, it's, it's this same temptation that's at work in our lives. It's a twisting of God's words in this way. And notice, going back to that whole of self, think about it. Look what, listen very carefully to what the devil says. He turns to Jesus, he, he, he quotes the scriptures, he quotes it wrong. And then what do you say? He says, command that these stones turn into bread. Did you catch that? In other words, don't pray to the Father, do it yourself. It's that self that's there. Take care of yourself. God's not going to take care of you. You need to do it yourself. Command. He doesn't say, pray to the Father that, that you can do this. No, he says, you do it by yourself. Command that these stones become bread. Don't ask God. Leave him out of it. He's clearly left you out of it. Here you are, alone, hungry. God's abandoning you. God's forgotten about you in this place. You're not his child. Right? You need to take care of yourself. Brothers and sisters, self is at the foundation of every demonic act. When it comes down to it. Remember he talks to Peter? And, and, and they're having this conversation. And, and he says, I'm going to go to the cross. I'm going to get resurrected and all these things. And then Peter takes him aside and rebukes Jesus. Can you imagine that? Peter rebukes Jesus and says, Jesus, you don't know what you're talking about. Don't say these kinds of things. It discourages your disciples. Don't do that. And remember what Jesus said? Get behind me, Satan, for you are setting your mind on man's interests and not God's. In other words, get me, he calls his best friend Satan, right? I mean, he's not talking to him. He's talking about the spirit operating behind. And he says, you are focused on self. You're not focused on God. The, the heart, the foundation of every demonic activity is self. And the enemy says, do it yourself. Do it your own way. Forget about everything else that's happening there. He's, he's, he's twisting and, and, and his word in these things. The, the, the next one he does, the same thing. If you're the son of God, throw yourself off the mountain. I mean, it's, 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 it's crazy. Throw yourself off, jump, and the angels will protect. He's quoting Psalm 91. Right? He, was giving, he will give his angels charge concerning you, know, on the wings will lift you up, and all these things. And it's true. I mean, it's true. In, in Matthew 26, 53, Jesus says, hey, man, I've got 12 legions of angels. You know, remember a legion is 12,000 troops. So he's got 12 legions. That's a lot of angels. And he says, I have angels waiting in, uh, for my instructions, right? They're, they're just waiting for whatever I, I ask them to do. And that part is true. And so the enemy will take the word of God and just twist it enough and, and, and to, to, to lead us into this temptation. And so that's what he does. But... Even though that's true, but to jump, to test God, right? To test God is not to trust God. That's a simple reality. If you have to test God, it means you don't trust God. 
And so he twists his words in that way. And look at the way Jesus responds to this attack. So, so I have, I know I have three points. I have two more points, okay? But this is, these are like our defense, right? So number one, our defense is God's word. This is powerful, friends. It is written. Say that. Turn to your neighbor. Say, hey, good looking. Say, it is written with conviction. It is written. So what Jesus does, three times he's tempted, three times he uses the book of Deuteronomy. And look what he says. He says, it is written. Uh, first one, 8-3. He humbled you and let you be hungry and fed you with manna, which you did not know, nor did your fathers know that he might make you understand that man does not live by bread alone, but man lives by everything that proceeds out of the mouth of the Lord. And, he, and he's saying, actually, enemy, you got it wrong. It is written. He quotes the scripture, and he basically says, man does not live on bread alone. In other words, we are not sustained by bread. He's saying, devil, I don't need bread to stay alive, sucker. Right? I don't, I don't need this at all. Right? I need God's word. God's word comes into, that's what feeds me. Right? Remember, he, all through, we're going through the book of John. He says, my, my word is bread. And, and, you know, work for the, the, the bread that lasts forever. He's, 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 he's talking about the bread is himself. It's, it's life. It's his word in this way. Life is not sustained by physical bread, but it's sustained by God's word. And so he overcomes the enemy. The second time, the temptation. Again, it is written. Now he quotes Deuteronomy 6.16. You shall not put the Lord your God to the test as you tested him. At Masa, right? To do so, to test God in this way, like for, for him to jump, like Jesus need, didn't need to jump to know that, that God has his back. You know what I mean? And so, but, but to do so would reveal a fundamental flaw of mistrust that Jesus does not need to test the Father's loving protection to know its reality. That's where faith comes in. That's where you trust. And then you have enough of these episodes with God, then you, you can trust him more in this way. And the last one, and notice these attacks of identity and the relationship with the Father just totally fail. Totally fail. So the third one, he doesn't say, if you're the Son of God. He just leads him to uh, basically uh, this vantage point where he sees, sees the whole world. And now... And now he reveals his cards. This is what he really wants. He says, I'll give you everything. Just bow down and worship me. And then he responds, Deuteronomy 6.13. You shall fear the Lord. Uh, you fear only the Lord your God, and you shall worship him and swear by his name. Ultimately, what does the enemy want from you? He wants you to stay away from God. He wants you to worship him. How do we worship him? Right? I mean, it's, 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 you know, I mean, none of us are going to have an altar of Lucifer in our homes, right? We're much more sophisticated than that now. But the moment, right, that you focus your life on self, the moment it's about me, myself, and I, 
Uh, the, the moment that we don't look to God and we try to take care of things on our own, I'm not, I'm not saying it's worshiping the enemy in that way, right? But we're putting ourselves in that position, right? He reveals what he's really after. He wants our worship. He wants us to be focused on him. He wants us to be focused on things, right, instead of on God. And Jesus, was his response overwhelmingly was to trust God to provide and to take care of him. No need to test him. He already understood that reality. Brothers and sisters, if we look at the passage in Ephesians chapter 6, uh, there's the weapons, the helmet of salvation, the breastplate of righteousness, the belt of truth, the shield of faith, the, the, our feet shodden with the, with the gospel. Right? Now, all these things are all defensive. They're all there to protect us. The only offensive weapon that's there, he says, is the sword of the Spirit, which is the Word of God. Now, you've heard, I'm sure you've heard this teaching before. W-O-R-D, that word, there's two different ones in Greek. There's logos, uh, which we could sometimes translate as the written word, or it means like divine intelligence or divine expression. And so there's logos, but there's also another W-O-R-D that's called rhema. And rhema means the spoken word of God. And so this is, this is not just the word that we read, even though that's part of it. So imagine... This is, if you, if you make it, this is Logos primarily, Logos. Rhema is this Logos that's inside of us. It's, it's living, and when we speak out this word, it's the spoken word of God. It's the Rhema. And he says the sword of the Spirit, not the Logos. I mean, yes, okay, sword of the Spirit, yes. But when it becomes the weapon in our lives is when? It's when it's inside of us. And it comes out. It's the spoken word of God. And just that's what Jesus did. He says, it, every time it is written, this, this sword coming out and doing battle. Right? Don't worry. Pastor Eric Lehman's coming. He'll bring his real sword. Right? If you guys don't, it's going to be so fun. Our, our anniversary weekend. But every time it is written, man, this sword, the sword of the spirit, which is the word of of God, the spoken word of God, the word that lives within me. How can a young man keep his way pure? By living according to your word. I have hidden your word in my heart that I may not sin against you. That's rhema. It's the word that's hidden inside of us. It's the word that, 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 is, that we've eaten and, and it's been digested and it becomes strength uh, in our lives. It's the only offensive weapon. It's important that we understand the scriptures and we have the word, the sword of the spirit to fight, right, the, uh, uh, the good fight. The, the second defense that we have is perseverance. And I, I told you, right, we're talking about breakthrough, right? That's, that's the title of my message, Fasting for Breakthrough. It's perseverance. This is the key. This is the key. The scriptures are powerful. You get to a point and you're there. You're like, it is written. Remember, Jesus is fighting. It is written. It is written. It is written. And then in the midst of this battle, in the midst of the fight, God's going to have you in a situation. Right? It is written. We're pounding. It is written. And all of a sudden you're going to say, be gone, Satan. 
and he leaves. That's breakthrough. That happens. That's why we're fasting. Right? We have the sword of the Spirit, but it's this perseverance. Notice it didn't just happen one time. And notice, Jesus didn't just say it right from the beginning. It was a battle. He was going, it is written, it is written, it is written. And then comes the anointing. And then comes the favor that says, hey, be gone, Satan. Leave me alone. Get out now. It's authority. There's power there. There's a, uh, uh, and, I, and, I, and I, listen, I use this, uh, this uh, proverb very, very well. And there's an old, when, when, I, when I was uh, um, uh, pursuing my wife, uh, Lisa, you know, we're, we'll be, in March, we'll, we'll have a celebrated, it'll be our 22nd anniversary. And so we're really excited. Um, uh, but before we got married, my wife didn't want to have anything to do with me. You know, uh, for whatever reason, I don't know how she got this impression, but she just thought I was a dumb jock, you know, and, uh, you know, insensitive and, you know, all these things. I don't know how she got that idea from, um, but, but she, she just, that's all. She, so she didn't, want, she didn't want anything to do with me, and so I pursued her for two years. You know, I, I, just, I just pursued her, sometimes, you know, in, in silence and in these things, but, but, I, but I, I mean, and, and one of my friends told me this incredible Korean parable. And you may have heard it. It's probably a Chinese parable, right? So, you know, you guys can let me know if it's from your culture as well. Uh, but it's really simple. It says, you hit a tree enough times, eventually it falls. Right? So simple. You hit a tree enough times, eventually it falls. And so I was hitting that tree all the time. <laughs> no matter what, right? It's perseverance. Do you notice when Jesus is preaching about prayer? Do you notice one of the central themes that he always, not always, but most always touches on is perseverance. Whenever he teaches on prayer, he also talks about perseverance. It's, it's the, the friend that goes to the friend and knocks on the door. He doesn't want to come out, but because he perseveres. It's the widow that's, that's seeking for justice. And even though the judge is unrighteous, he will still answer the widow because she perseveres. And all those were parables on prayer. And there's perseverance that happens. This is partly of why we're fasting. It's fasting for breakthrough. And, and, and every time we're doing this, we're, we're getting to the place where we're saying, it is written, it is written, it is written, it is written. And then eventually that moment's going to come where you say, get out. Don't bother me. Don't bother my family. Right? You speak to disease and, and pestilence and you say, no, be gone now in Jesus' name. But that comes after, it is written, it is written, it is written. It is written. It's the fight. And some place in that perseverance, breakthrough begins to happen. I love this. Jesus stands there and, you know, he's in weak state. The enemy is just bombarding him. He's battling. It is written. It is. And finally, get out. And then the Bible says he left. <laughs> right? He's like, he got his butt kicked. He left. You know, and then the angels came. And started ministering to him. Let me invite the worship team to come. Brothers and sisters, let's continue to fight the good fight of faith and overcome. You know, 
Fasting is not very glamorous, right? It's not one of those things. But it's part of the persevering that takes place. Breakthrough is just around the corner. Well, let's continue to fast. Let's find the authority to cast the enemy down. Let me read this last verse, Romans sixteen twenty. The God of peace will soon crush Satan under your feet. The grace of our Lord Jesus be with you. This is his promise. The God of peace will soon crush Satan under your feet. In your life, in your business, in your relationships, in your finances, in your health, in your family, the enemy is attacking. We're putting on a valiant fight. It is written. It is written. But we're asking God for the authority to just cast him out. Be gone, Satan. Leave us alone. And so let's close our eyes. We battle with the word of God. We battle with perseverance. The daily grind. Let's fight this good fight of faith. Let's persevere before the Lord. And the worship team is going to lead us in a song. And we want to pray. And we want to pray for you today. If you, if you need a breakthrough, something is going on physically, Financially, I mean, there's a lot of different things that could be happening. You know, I mentioned to you that we're going to open up the altars this year at church and do uh, personal ministry, you know, in our services. And we want to open up the altars today and just simply want to invite you to come. And you can stand or kneel. I mean, it doesn't really matter what posture you come with. But you're saying, you know, peace, Sam, I'm, I'm praying for a breakthrough. There's some things going on, and we just want to stand with you in that place. And so as P. Nate leads us in a song of worship, I want to invite you to come. Come out of your seat and find some real estate with God and just start finding that good fight of faith. It is written. It is written. You keep battling, right, the enemy. He's attacking you at your identity. Right? He's attacking your relationship with the Father. Right? He's, he's attacking you in, in all different ways, in, in your needs. And you and just ask God for the authority right, to, to, to not only fight back, but to overcome. Right? So can we do that? So, P.N.A., why don't you lead us? And, and if God is moving in your heart, just come and, and find some space. And we're, we're going to minister to you today. If my heart is overwhelmed and I cannot hear your Hold on to what is true, though I cannot see. If the storms of life they come and the road ahead gets steep, I will lift these hands in faith. I will.
I remind myself of all that you've done And the life I have because of your son Love came down and rescued me just close your eyes for a moment I just want you to hear what God's saying over you right now the father is saying he loves you he loves you with an everlasting love he's not forgotten about you he is for you he's not against you the enemy has been whispering all these things He wants you to know deep inside who you are. You're his child. Yes, it's been difficult. But it doesn't mean he abandoned you. He's just setting you up for this greatest revelation that you'll ever receive in your life. And so, Lord, we pray, come, Holy Spirit. Come and bring to life, God in their hearts in their minds who you are and who they are in you well, let's pray I'm going to invite you as a church now right because we're all this is a family we're all this together if these are your friends or your house church members or you know or you just feel that I want you to come out of your seats I want you to come and let them know that you're with them that you're just put your hand on their shoulder and their back and just pray let's storm the heavens right now and let's pray for a breakthrough in the Lord right let's make sure every person is touched and ministered to right and when you come you say man I got your back you are a sign of Christ let's pray and you receive right now from the Lord love came down and rescued me love came Oh. 
Pressing in, the rest of us let's stand to our feet and let's sing together. Oh, let's just make a canopy of praise and prayer over this group right now. If my heart is overwhelmed and I cannot hear your voice, I hold on to what is true, though I cannot see. If the storms of life they come and the road ahead gets deep, I will lift these hands in faith. I will believe. I remind myself of all that you've done and the life I have because of your Son.
want to encourage you guys to continue to pray, but let's just come before the Lord together. Lord, even though we don't like it, God, it's important that these truths are tested in our lives. That which has not been tested cannot be trusted. And so, Lord, you're teaching us through it, God. And, Lord, I just pray, Lord, for my friends, especially the ones that came up, God, that they're crying for a breakthrough, release something, God. I pray first and foremost, Lord, that they would have a divine appointment with you like Jesus did at baptism where they would know that they know that they know that they're your child, that you love them, that you're proud of them. God, it's not because of what they do, or, right, or, but it's because it's who they are. They're your child. And so bless them in that way. And when that is being tested, God, Lord, we pray for strength. We pray that the Word of God would dwell in their hearts richly, God, that they will be able to fight the good fight of faith. And, Lord, and when it, sometimes the battle gets fierce, Lord, give them the humility, God, and vulnerability to reach out to others and say, I need help. Lord, we're in this together. We're a family of God. Lord, we pray, God. Lord, we're battling. It is written. It is written. Lord, we know that that day is going to come where we say, be gone in the name of Jesus. Release that into our midst, God. God, we thank you, God. We love you, Lord. We bless you. And now the Lord bless you and keep you. The Lord causes face to shine upon you and be gracious to you. And the Lord lift up his countenance upon you and give you peace. Shalom from this day forever. In the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit. Amen. Amen. Hey, if you prayed for someone, ask them. Say, what are you, what are you praying for? Right? And if you have a moment, tell them. And then say, I'm going to pray for you this week. I'm fasting for you this week. You just spend some time and do some energy. If you remember who you prayed for, right, just come and just say, hey, what, are you, what, are you, what exactly are you breaking through for? So we'll do some follow-up. If you need any prayers, our well ministers are here. to pray for you. Have a wonderful, wonderful day. See you tomorrow morning at 7.